and welcome to Breaking the Curtain with me, Chrissy, and me, Joss. Don't forget to silence all phones. Or don't, it's a podcast. And most importantly, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Hey, Joss. Wake up. <gasps> hey. Chris, I thought you, I told you to wake me up when September ends. Yeah, buddy. It's October 1st. Shit, already? Yep. Well then, let's hop right into a show history about rage, love, and punk rock. Green Day's American Idiot. Listener discretion is advised for this episode as Green Day's American Idiot contains content involving a variety of mental illnesses, drug use, and addiction, as well as 9-11 and the following war overseas. American Idiot follows the exhilarating journey of a new generation of young Americans, led by friends Johnny, Tunney, and Will, as they struggle to find meaning in a post-9-11 world. When the three disgruntled men flee the constraints of their hometown for the thrills of city life, their paths are quickly estranged when Tunney enters the armed forces, Will is called back home to attend familial responsibilities, and Johnny's attention becomes divided by a seductive love interest and a hazardous new friendship. American Idiot is a mostly sung-through rock musical based on the concept album recorded by Green Day. Green Day is an American punk rock band formed in 1987 by Billy Joe Armstrong, lead singer, vocalist, and guitarist. Mike Durnt, bassist, backing vocalist, and drummer John Kiffmeyer, who was later replaced by Trey Cool in 1990. The band released seven six-hit albums between 1990 and 2000, Their music held a sense of freedom in a fast-paced world that was becoming further overcome with consumerism and reality television. The world came to a sudden halt on September 11, 2001, when a terrorist attack tragically took the lives of nearly 3,000 people in New York City, Washington, D.C., and Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The 9-11 attacks inflicted a devastating emotional toll on Americans. During an era in which television such as CNN was still the public's dominant news source, the televised images of destruction and devastation left a deep emotional impact, with many unable to function normally throughout the weeks following the attack. Of course, it goes without saying, with the falling of the towers came the realization that nothing would ever be the same. An interview by Kerrang! paints an image of Billy Joe Armstrong in 2003, living in a home overlooking the East Bay, lacking motivation. One day, while listening to the radio in his car, the station played the song That's How I Like It by Leonard Skinnerd. The band sang of how the men in their corner of the United States like, quote, their women hot and their beer ice cold, a real fast car and their whiskey old, end quote. They continue on singing about how, quote, there's nothing better than the sound of a crowd, the American flag makes me proud, end quote. Enraged by what he was hearing, Billy Joe wrote his own song in response. He named it American Idiot. The concept album, which was released on September 21, 2004, follows the story of the Jesus of Suburbia, a lower-middle-class American anti-hero. Billy Joe Armstrong admitted that the album always felt like it, quote, would be staged or used to create a film or something. End quote, and that the band drew from many different influences. Armstrong listed The Who's Tommy, Rocky Horror, and even West Side Story among albums they listened to and drew inspiration from while creating the album. As of now, in 2022, American Idiot is the world's last blockbusting rock album. Broadway director Michael Mayer was a huge fan of Green Day, but never dreamed of turning their albums into a musical. 
That is, until he listened to American Idiot. While working on a film in 2005, he found himself listening to the album every day while driving to set. He is quoted in a local interview with the OC Register saying, quote, As I was listening to it more and more and looking forward to starting at the point where I had left off the last time, it occurred to me that the pleasure I was getting was very reminiscent of the feeling I had as a kid listening to the original Broadway cast album of West Side Story or Carousel or On a Clear Day. End quote. I think that we can both agree with his sentiment. There is something that triggers off core memories of being a child listening to the American Idiot album. As much so for me as listening to something like Rent or The Little Mermaid. That is like a solid piece of my childhood listening to Green Day, especially that album. Absolutely. There's something so transformative about that album. It takes you right back to where you were when you first yeah. heard it. And like Michael Mayer said, there's there's a full story in there. It is one mm. of the most carefully constructed albums of all time. And I dare I say one of the best concept albums of all time. Sure. Because the story is clear. The emotional cycle of the songs is clear. You know, there's nothing like sitting and listening it to it from start to finish because... Mm-hmm. In the original album, it's a full story. Yeah. It's that simple, and it's amazing. Well, by this point, Mayer was beginning to think about the possibilities of a staged production of American Idiot. He was envisioning a plotline about kids leaving the suburbs and going to the city. Someone messing up and hitting rock bottom before coming back to himself again. By the time 2008 rolled around, Broadway had seen the demand for new coming-of-age avant-garde works, which had began gaining popularity in the past few years with the likes of Rent and Next to Normal. Mayer, who had just come off a big win for Best Direction of a Musical for Spring Awakening at the 2007 Tony Awards, still had American Idiot on his mind. While doing an interview with Variety, the interviewer asked, do you think there will be any more rock in musicals? To which Michael Mayer replied, quote, Well, obviously, American Idiot could be turned into a musical, but somebody's probably already doing it. End quote. Actor and producer Tom Hulse was reading that article a couple weeks later and made a call to Mayer, asking him to basically spill all the details about American Idiot. Everything moved quickly from that point. Mayer was nervous about pitching the concept to the band, feeling that he would be seen as too nerdy or geeky, coming from the theater world entering punk rock territory. Hulse contacted the band's agency, but getting Green Day's approval for the project felt like it could possibly take years. However, that wasn't the case, and the two were suddenly on a plane to meet their manager. A few weeks after their meeting, Billy Joe actually went to see Spring Awakening and fell completely in love with the piece. He understood what Michael Mayer was going after in that show. Billy Joe is quoted in the New York Times saying, quote, Seeing Spring Awakening changed how I saw Broadway. It was so cutting edge and different and current. And there was also something reminiscent of Jesus of Suburbia and the songs and anguish of John's character. End quote. The John he speaks of is John Gallagher Jr., who would eventually play the lead role in the original Broadway production of American Idiot. They spent the whole night talking in a bar, discovering that they both had quite a lot in common. Apparently, Bernadette Peters was also at the bar with them, which is like, can you imagine walking into that bar? You've got Bernadette, 
Michael Mayer and Billy Joe Armstrong seated together. Oh my god. It kind of sounds like a bad joke, yeah. you know. Bernadette Peters, Michael Mayer and Billy Joe walk Armstrong into walk into a bar. <laughs> um <laughs> That's going to be our new joke from now on. <laughs> With the band's blessing in the form of a six-month contract to develop the concept, Mayer began working on the musical. Tom Kitt joined the project as the music supervisor and orchestrator. It became clear to both that the 57 minutes of material from the initial American Idiot album didn't provide enough to create the story he envisioned. After all, he wanted very little dialogue in the show. He felt that the music and lyrics were expressive enough on their own. Which, yeah, they kind of are. To his delight, he discovered that there were actually four American Idiot songs released only in Europe. During the process of reworking the album and turning it into a stage show, Green Day was actually working on their next album, which would eventually be titled 21st Century Breakdown. While checking in on how the show is coming along, Billy Joe would send new songs for Mare to include in the musical as he felt what fit. Michael Mayer said in an interview with the New York Times, quote, My idea all along was to keep the 13 songs in their original order and to interrupt it with other Green Day songs, end quote. A reading was presented in June of 2008 where Green Day was invited to experience the work Mayer and the team had been doing for the very first time. The reading included several performers who would eventually be in the Broadway production. By the end of the performance of Last Night on Earth, Mayer and Kit looked over and all three of the band's members were sitting with tears streaming down their faces. The band officially greenlit the plans for a full production. There is actually such a beautiful moment in the documentary that we will talk about a bit later on in this episode, but they did make a documentary documenting this process of the musical. And there's a moment where Adrian, who is Billy Joe's wife, just reaches over from the back, uh, from behind him where she's sitting and touches his shoulder while the cast is singing. And I swear I could just I, I could break down crying watching that alone. It's such a beautiful moment between them. And I'm happy that it's something that was like captured on film for both of them to look back on. See, for me, that moment is when they finish singing Last Night on Earth and Billy Joe Armstrong just reaches over and he grabs Tom Kitt's knee and squeezes and shakes it. And I'm like, yes, it's so cute. (laughs) On September 4th, 2009, American Idiot premiered at the Berkeley Repertory Theater before officially opening on September 15th. The set was a first of its kind, complete with television sets built between every section of the set. The musical itself began with an overlapping voiceover of news media headlines, reality shows, and a quote from President Bush, building the tension as the curtain rises on the actors standing on stage with their backs turned, watching the built-in television sets before launching into a 20-minute, continuous opening number. Whether you liked the show or not, it was without a doubt groundbreaking. The original cast featured John Gallagher Jr. as Johnny, Michael Esper as Will, Matt Kaplan as Tunney, Tony Vincent as St. Jimmy, Rebecca Naomi Jones as What's-Her-Name, Mary Faber as Heather, and Christina Saju as The Extraordinary Girl. While the show received mixed reviews from critics, it quickly became the top-grossing show in the theater's history, leading the producers to extend the run twice before it closed on November 15th. Billy Joe invited the cast into the studio in Berkeley to record 21 Guns, with Billy featured alongside the company of American Idiot. 
He was so smitten with how incredible vocalists the cast were. When the Grammys invited Green Day to perform, Armstrong opted for the cast to join them on stage for the performance. Later in the evening, the band took home the award for Best Rock Album for 21st Century Breakdown, and it was announced that American Idiot would open on Broadway that winter. The team reconstructed parts of the show, cutting most of the dialogue before the musical transferred to Broadway. Previews began on March 24, 2010 at the St. James Theatre, officially opening on April 20th. The Broadway production was produced by Ira Pittleman, Tom Hulse, and Vivek Twari, and actually featured a similar creative team to Spring Awakening, including Michael Mayer, the director, Christine Jones, the scenic designer, and Kevin Adams, the lighting designer. The show was choreographed by Stephen Hodgett, who created an image-based choreography. The original Broadway cast remained the same as the out-of-town Berkeley cast, with the exception of Matt Kaplan. Stark Sands took over the role of Tunney. Rumors began to fly about the show's cost, speculating it cost between $8 to $10 million to produce, and that after six months of performances, the show had yet to turn a profit. Mayer confided to Billy Joe Armstrong that his dream was for Armstrong to step into the role of St. Jimmy. In the Broadway Idiot documentary, Mayer recalls Armstrong agreeing and saying something along the lines of, quote, Are you serious? I'm shitting. End quote. And so Armstrong started rehearsals to join the Broadway production. The team meeting in secret and the casting announcement being made only days before he would be making his Broadway debut when Tony Vincent took some time off from the show. From September 28th to October 3rd, with Armstrong in the role of St. Jimmy, ticket prices rose 22%, sales were up 77%, and gross sales increased 127% from the week before. The rocker returned to the role from January 1st to February 27th, 2011 for another 50 performances. Ultimately, it wasn't enough to save the show from closing due to low ticket sales, and Billy Joe Armstrong took the stage as St. Jimmy for one last stretch, taking the show through its final three weeks on Broadway. American Idiot closed on Broadway on April 24, 2011, after 27 previews and 421 performances. The show's original Broadway cast recording won the Grammy Award in 2011 for Best Musical Show Album. Ironically, though, the score was deemed ineligible for the Tony Award for Best Original Score because less than 50% of the show had been written for the stage. American Idiot launched a North American tour in Toronto, Ontario, Canada on December 28, 2011, which ran until it closed at the Orpheum Theatre in San Francisco, California on July 8, 2012. The original touring cast included Van Hughes as Johnny, Jake Epstein as Will, Scott J. Campbell as Tunney, Leslie McDonnell as Heather, Gabrielle McClinton as What's-Her-Name, Nikki Claspell as The Extraordinary Girl, and Joshua Kovac as St. Jimmy. On October 9, 2012, a UK and Ireland tour launched in Southampton and went on to visit Manchester, Cardiff, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Dublin, and Birmingham. In 2013 through 2014, a non-equity tour traveled through the US and Canada. American Idiot returned to the UK in 2015 at the Arts Theatre in the West End, produced by Celador Theatre Company. The production went on to tour the UK and returned to the West End in 2016. In 2019, a 10th anniversary touring production of American Idiot traveled through the UK. In addition to its success in North America and the United Kingdom, American Idiot has toured globally to Japan and South Korea, Argentina, Frankfurt, and Copenhagen, to name a few. And it's still growing. In 2020, the show had its premiere in the Czech Republic. 
In March 2013, Broadway Idiot, a documentary, was released, following Billy Joe Armstrong from a punk rock concert in Madison Square Garden to the opening night of American Idiot on Broadway. Writer and director Doug Hamilton explored the two different worlds where they collide and brought audiences behind the curtain to take a look at the show's journey to Broadway. There have also been many rumors and discussions about whether or not American Idiot will join the ranks of musicals on the big screen, but as of right now, no concrete plans have been made, nor has anything been announced. But a girl can dream. I've said this before, like I was a spring awakening kiddo, kiddo, teenager when it came out and I was fully obsessed but then this came out and I think my brain exploded and I just have not been the same since. I also have not been the same since. Like I was finally (laughs) allowed to like listen to Green Day stuff when the musical kind of first came out and so I kind of got into it around the time the musical started which was right when I was entering kind of Mm. my teen years as we went into like the 2010s era. And for me, you know, that was just kind of the perfect time for this show to come into my life and for this album and for Green Day to come into my life. You know, I can definitely say that Green Day's music changed and saved my life as a teenager. And I know I'm not like the only one who has experienced uh, their music in that way. Yeah, like Chrissy said, I'm so excited. We're finally talking about it on the podcast. Um, because yeah, it is a show that means so much to me. And I feel like there were a couple years where, I don't know, it just wasn't as prominent in my life, but I'm really stoked to be getting back into it this year. You know, it, it, it was just September and it was just the 21st anniversary of the attacks on 9-11. And I know so many think of Come From Away as like the 9-11 musical, and it is, of course, But I always refer back to this one. Whenever I think of 9-11, this musical brings a sense of community. And I always think of the scene. And I I don't know if it's purposely done because of 9-11, but how could it not be? There is this one moment of searching in the choreography and they are searching and searching and there's papers flying and all of a sudden they start following, falling backwards and they lay down. Yeah, you know, I definitely think like there's nothing in American Idiot that's coincidental. It's so no. layered and nuanced. Yeah, that's definitely there for a reason. Is that during September ends or no? It's I think it's Wake Me Up When September um, Ends because it's yeah, after the so of course. bridge. Yeah, it's this moment that I will never forget the first time I saw it in a theater. It took my breath away. It still takes, I'm struggling to talk about it right now. It takes my breath away because it is so powerful and it isn't talked about enough how powerful that moment is. I mean, the entire show, yes, but that one moment, it's just breathtaking. Yeah. Yeah. And it works with the orchestration too, because it goes through like the bridge, which is this really big buildup. And then as they're kind of slowly laying onto the ground, it goes back into the do, 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 do. And it really slows down. They actually talk about it in the documentary. Originally, Wake Me Up When September Ends had a lot more choreography, similar to the songs in the rest of the show. Mm -hmm. And the choreographer in Broadway Idiot was saying, you know, we thought it was a bit busy, but we were watching it and there was this one minute that summed up everything we wanted to say in the song 
and that that's it that's that moment and it is one of the most moving uh on stage moments in a musical it was tom kitt or michael Mayer who said you know like this song they always thought it was about 9-11 so i i would imagine that scene was to do with that yeah you know because I think the song was really written. It was one of the first mm-hmm. times that Billy Joe Armstrong wrote about the loss of his right. father um, because his father had died in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, you know, just with the timing of when the album came out, something like Wake Me Up When September Ends, you know, I think for where the world was, where America was at the time of the album's release, yeah, that's, I think, what a lot of people drew the parallel to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It doesn't, have, it doesn't have an intermission, does it? It doesn't. And I remember thinking when I sat down, oh, my God, I'm going to hate that there's no intermission. But I don't think there was a better way to do that because an intermission would have just completely stopped the flow. Yeah, just it goes so hard and so fast. That there really isn't necessarily a good place for a break. If anything, I'd say maybe 21 Guns Letter Bomb, I'd say do the intermission. But that's so close to the end of the show, there's no point. It's a fairly short one anyways, because there really isn't any dialogue. It is the songs throughout. Yeah, it's like, what, 90 minutes? Yeah, so there was just no reason for an intermission. I just loved it because everything about it is so vibrant, like the sets and the costumes. They just they mm. speak so much to the era. The choreography is insane. Of course, the music and the vo- voices are incredible. But I think the most beautiful thing about it is kind of all the individual characters that are in the show and in the story. They don't have any dialogue like Johnny and I think maybe his two buddies are the only ones who talk and they say only a handful of things throughout the show. But through just the music and the movement, you have those six main characters like Johnny, Will, Tunny, What's-Her-Name, Extraordinary Girl, and Heather. You know who those people are. You know what they want, what they need, what they're not getting. There's a full and complete understanding of these characters. And they don't speak a single word. Everything is sung. I don't know. I think that when it comes to rock and jukebox musicals, that is such a rare phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, because no, you rely on the dialogue. Something. I have to share this story. And I'm so sorry if it upsets anyone. I, it's not my intention. It's just the stupidest thing that I've ever seen at a theater. So, as you know, Canada is bilingual, right? Yes. <laughs> I have never experienced this at a at another show. This only happened at American Idiot. And I cannot figure out for the life of me why. So anyways, they wouldn't print programs for us because they couldn't translate it or they didn't want to pay to have it translated. It was a non-equity tour. What do you expect, right? So <laughs> they had these two massive and when I say massive I mean massive screens on the sides of the stage translating everything but the entire show is song so all they were really translating and having these lit up massive screens on the side were like every so often when Johnny says he needs to shower 
everything else was in English. <laughs> so I was like, really? That's, you know, I would understand like maybe Wicket or something or like anything else. even like the parts of the lyrics that are key to the no. story, but just, you know. Yeah. I jerked off into oblivion last yeah. night and forgot to shower And how again. do you translate that into a way that makes sense? You can't. So, yeah, it was amusing, to say the least. Very distracting. And, yeah, I just thought that was funny. You know, circling back to the Like, you know what's going on just from the music and the lyrics and the staging, which I don't think you get with other jukebox musicals. I think... You know, jukebox musicals by their nature, they're so, they rely so much on the dialogue to shape these well-known songs into a story. But American Idiot doesn't do that. And I think that's what makes it so epic is that the original material does all the work. Anyway, that's, that's kind of what I, that's what I wanted to say about that. I just love this show so much. I love listening to the album because... The orchestrations are like none other. Mm. It it feels like an original musical, and it's a shame that it wasn't eligible for the Tony Awards because it really is like Tom Kitt took it and stripped it all down until the point where the band didn't even recognize what songs they were about to sing from the first like few bars, which is like beyond me. And you can see that clip in the broadway idiot documentary can i just say i love tom kitt i have like love not in a creepy way or anything but i have such a crush on tom kitt just because he's so ridiculously talented in that Mm -hmm. way like i have a talent crush on him so good genius nobody else could have done what he did to american Idiot. it's so fresh i mean maybe no no nobody else nobody else for sure nobody else just tom kitt just tom kitt (laughs) Just <laughs> no, but it is, it's a luscious, gorgeous score. The orchestrations are out of this world. And if you haven't listened to the album, go check it out. It'll change your freaking life. It's fun from start to finish and also quite sad. There's a lot of moments that break your heart. Yeah, it's just, oh, it's it is so nuanced and delicate and clever. Like every moment in there every beat is there for a reason it is so deliberate um the entire show is but i think musically especially it's it's genius and you know like i think it's kind of like changes the way that we view musical theater i think it kind of took the rock musical like and kind of leveled it up a little bit like we talk about rent changing the face of the rock musical which it did but you know, this American Idiot is a rock opera. Like well, Rent is a rock opera. It is, but Rent has a lot more dialogue. Absolutely. Well, no, not really. Not too much. <laughs> it has more dialogue, but it's also more like musical theater based and it's original. For sure. I think this Green Day's American Idiot takes a rock opera, but does it as a juke, takes it as a jukebox musical and spins it around and it comes out as something completely different so it's it's very different from rent but i think you know it's kind of you know i always think of it as like stepping stones like because of oscar hammerstein because of stephen sondheim because of jonathan larson because of like you know the building blocks that make theater what it is today i think american idiot has a place in those like building blocks 
Um, Because it was just such a different way of doing a rock musical and doing a jukebox musical. Yeah, for sure. I think these are, it's hard because these are such different categories. I mean, it is a jukebox musical, so you would have to put it in competition with Mamma Mia or, you know what I mean? Or Rock of Ages, um, which also it kind of just doesn't fit into those into that category as well it's like niche yeah it's like bad out of hell in the sense where both were born out of concept albums um they both had the desire when writing the albums for them to go on to be something else in another art form movie musical you know what i mean same thing there what it did do and it did it beautifully was bring an entire new crop of people from a different scene over to Broadway to experience something magical. This, I mean, there was punk rockers in that audience, friend, who had never seen a Broadway show before. And it showed them that, hey, yeah, Broadway is not what you think it is. It's not always Carousel. It's not always The Music Man. It can also be this. And that is what I think is so cool about American Idiot. I don't want to say that it was ahead of its time because I think it was timed perfectly when it came out on Broadway. I don't think it could have came out before 20, uh, what was it, 2010? I don't think it could have been on Broadway before 2010. And I don't think it would have done as well if it was released in like 2014, 2015. I think it came out at the perfect time because the album was still under 10 years old. It was still like fresh. There was still a lot of growth that Broadway needed to do before getting to that point as well. It just came out at the perfect time. I don't think it would have survived coming out within the past five years of Broadway. But again, we circle back to building blocks and stepping stones of what musical theater looks like, what the Broadway musical has become. In the 2010s, we were just coming off of, like we talked about, you know, Spring Awakening and Next to Normal. We have American Idiot. We are starting to look into things like, you know, down the lines, things like We Will Rock You are going to come out. We're going to have things like we're about to hit kind of that era where, you know, social media is about to take over um, kind of the Broadway theater fan space, you know, it was kind of positioned perfectly to still speak to the era of the album, but it kind of made it right in that launch when Broadway was starting to talk about serious topics through rock music. Like, I don't think a scene um, where you have the two main characters having sex and shooting up heroin through choreography would have survived on Broadway without, you know, things like Next to Normal and Spring Awakening happening first. Sure. Right? Yeah. Like, I think it's, it was kind of perfectly placed. But that being said, I need a revival. <laughs> I, I would love a revival. I don't know if it would do great. I think maybe, I think maybe if they did something different to it, I think you'd have to go back and maybe add some dialogue, change it up a little bit. I think that would make it like perfect for a revival. I genuinely think you could do it 
off-Broadway. You could take it. You could change, I think, very minimal things, but set it like a decade after its original setting. If you change the setting and put it into the world of the last couple of years, I think that would be a mm. very interesting production of American Idiot because it's so topical. You know, I don't think as so. much as I think the you would have era, to do as much as the era is a era. launching point and a reaction to a lot of it. I think that the album and the themes and the lyrics are still relevant. I think you could move it to another time in recent history and I think it would still work in a lot of ways maybe not as a big off-Broadway or Broadway revival but I think it would be interesting to look at it um in a new um in a new decade I really think you would have to write a new one because yeah American Idiot might be the only song in it that really still stands for today I think you would need to write an entirely new album. And they do have a lot of new songs that came out during Trump's presidency that were kind of like towards what was going on in America at the time. Um, but no, I think American Idiot is just so set in that post 9-11 world. There was so much going on back then, too. You know, there was. But, you know, I think a lot of the different things. Uh, that, you know, come with it. I, I don't know. I just, I genuinely think that its relevancy is for all time. It's themes of, you know, looking for connection, of being alienated, of disagreeing with your government and being terrified of coming of age in a world that is constantly changing. I think those are themes that are universal and they're always going to work. Sure. But That's this just show is just so set in that post 9-11 era I mean you have the and you could do it it's not that you couldn't do it it's just I think you would have to broaden broaden the story <laughs> Bryden Bryden <laughs> Joe Bryden <laughs> Joe Bryden <laughs> you would have to you know open the story up more swap some songs but then it wouldn't be the same thing and yeah, of course, like we've seen the awfulness that has been going on in Ukraine. Um, but this was really about the war that took place in, in um, the years following 9-11. I mean, I don't know. For me, it's something that's so set with 9-11 and Bush's presidency and all the craziness that came around during the time in the world at that point that to see it changed for something more modern would kind of make me feel like it loses some, I don't know, even the nostalgia of the original album, it would lose that for me. You know, we're, we're going to have to disagree to agree to disagree on this one, but I think ultimately what we can both agree on is that either way we think a revival of American Idiot would be great. <laughs> We'd both like to see it again. I think we can, we can agree on that. No, <laughs> I don't think no, so. No, I want to I see another production of American Idiot somewhere. I think... I think it's... I, I would love to. I don't know if it would just... I don't think it's ready for a revival right now. I mean, maybe in a few more years for off... Uh, I don't even think something like that could do off-Broadway. I think it would have to be on Broadway um, to get the tourist in right now. 
I don't know, friend. In a few years post-COVID, maybe. I'm, I'm ready for whenever. There's, yeah. Whenever whenever the team is yeah. ready, I am ready. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I also, like... I would have liked to see the one that was in the UK on tour. I think that one looked really different. Me and really too. Cool. And I'm saying, if it can tour the UK yeah. for the 10th anniversary, let's tour it here for the 10th anniversary. Come on. Yeah, I'm surprised that didn't happen. But then, I mean, COVID, right? Like we've obviously yeah. COVID is still a big scary thing, but you know, theater is starting to kind of make the rounds again. Anyway, um, if any of the people involved with or who would be involved with a Green Day revival or listening or a tour or whatever. Sorry, it's raining and I've lost my train of thought. But just if you're listening, I would buy a ticket. I'd buy a ticket. I'd come see it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make an awful joke and say you and how many because <laughs> um, I don't I really don't know if there's a market for it. If there wasn't a market back then, I don't know if there's one now. I I don't think it grew in popularity over the years in the way that Bonnie and Clyde did, if that makes sense. I don't know. Given the opportunity, I'd go see American Idiot over Bonnie and Clyde. Actually, like... Me too. American Idiot is probably in my top 10 favorite musicals mm-hmm. of all time. We have to discuss this. Billy Joe Armstrong as St. Jimmy, best stunt casting decision of all freaking time. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Usually, I am so against a stunt cast. We know this. We talk about this, how to stunt cast a show. But this, this is how you stunt cast a show. This is how you stunt cast a I mean, it was a no-brainer, right? It is a no-brainer. Although, it was kind of weird. They had Melissa Etheridge as St. Jimmy for a while, which was very cool in itself, but like an also like a weird stunt casting decision. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't have gone with Melissa Etheridge, but like, no. I'm all for a female St. Jimmy. Me too. Like, I think, it th- worked I think for me. that works because there is, I think, there's like a sexual seductive component to Johnny and St. Jimmy between the two of them. So I think, yeah, it works with whatever gender. You know, there's really only one way to conclude this episode. This is my rage. This is my love. This is my town. This is my city. This is my country. This is my life. This is Breaking the Curtains American Idiot Show History episode. We hope you had the time of your life. I need to go throw up now. That was ick. Oh, as always, I'm Chris. I'm Jocelyn, and I wrote that and thought it was great. Um, <laughs> together, we are breaking the curtain. And I think it curtain. took five years off my life. Thank you for that. Listen, you made me do an episode about Charles Manson. I think you can handle it. <laughs> um, anyway, if you missed our Manson episode, you can go back and listen to it. We have more. Ep- or don't. Actually, maybe don't. We have more stuff coming your way through the end of October. It is a busy month here at Breaking the Curtain. It is our busiest mm-hmm. time of the year. So stick around. We're going to see you really soon. Keep it real, friends. <laughs> Bye, guys. Keep it real. Get out of here. I think I'm cool. <laughs>